Welcome back, Literary Hangover listeners. I'm your host, Matt Leck, writing solo today with uh, episode 38, The Secret Diary of William Byrd of Westover for the year 1711. I apologize for um, the patrons who were expecting the Daniel Boone episode. Those will be upcoming. I couldn't get myself to uh, break up camp here in the uh, William Byrd quagmire. And it's worth dwelling a little bit on why. Uh, So for the next two episodes, I'm just going to be... um, rolling solo through these because I, uh, Alex and Grace will join me once we do Daniel Boone. But I think William Byrd is actually, it's important to get a lot of this story out before we move on to Boone and uh, sort of French and Indian War. Uh, I think you see a lot of the early warning signs here in this uh, year. Anxiety about French privateers is rampant. Another practical reason is Alex and I plan to... um, do some video literary hangover stuff. And just with my brain, I can't do that until I have read all of, (laughs) read all of, um, William Byrd's stuff. So not only do I have his diary, 1709 to 1712, which we're going to get, um, the third installment of today. I recently got in the mail, the London diary, 1711 to 1721. And there's a couple other things in here. We have uh, there's, there's two sort of famous public works that Bird is known for. Uh, one being the uh, dividing line histories, the uh, the sort of a publicy one version of that and a private one. And then he also uh, has a progress to the mines. And um, I can't go and you know record a documentary knowing that I haven't actually consumed those books. And it's taken a while because it's a lot of, lot of stuff, a lot of reading. Uh, and it also feeds importantly into everything da- Daniel Boone would get up to later in the 18th century. Like I said, we're in 1711. We're going to see the uh, Tuscarora War this uh, episode, which will be uh, guided to that. Guided through that by uh, two uh, academics, one being uh, Dr. Uh, Arwen D. Smallwood uh, of the North Carolina Agriculture and Technical College. Uh, he's a chair of the Department of History and Political Science there. He was on the Michael Yuri show on YouTube, and they had a great two-part episode entitled Tri-Racial Identity of Tuscarora and Other Native Americans. So what's interesting about the Tuscarora War is not only is it the sort of classic uh, settlers, including a land uh, promoter, go too far up a river and the uh, native inhabitants get upset. Classic sort of Indian War uh, retaliation story. But it's also very much a slave rebellion, which was another thing that I was fascinated for me, uh, fascinated me to learn about in depth. Um, in addition to Arwen Smallwood, there's a, a pretty decent uh, overview history recently written by David LeVere called The Tuscarora War, Indian Settlers and the Fight for the Carolina Colonies. We'll see Virginia's side of the uh, the conflict in this 
in Bird's Diary this year. We'll also pro- maybe get into this. Um, this might be another Matt uh, solo episode, but uh, a guy, William Gilmore Sims Esquire, who I believe was a Confederate sympathizing uh, sort of romantic novelist in the Walter Scott Ivanhoe kind of lineage wrote the MSC, a romance of Carolina, which is uh, sort of in the fallout of this Tuscarora war. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of go chronologically through the year here and uh, sprinkle in some of this context uh, as we go on. But I want to mention that Tuscarora war thing, because it, with the ultimate expulsion of the Tuscarora as a third, as um, Smallwood says, Basically, a third were killed, a third were enslaved, and a third were uh, scattered or um, uh, or refugees. Really opens the West because the Tuscaroras were um, one of the dominant sort of tribes uh, in the sort of Western Carolina area. So some pretty significant stuff, and it's also interesting to note Bird's role in this, which is a to be a pervert, but I don't want to spoil that too much. Uh, it'll also be interesting to note Bird's role in this. Virginia doesn't get super involved as they think it's more of a, a Carolina uh, problem. And uh, and South Carolina is more interested because they see it as an opportunity to get, you know, as we said, more slaves, native slaves. But so, yeah, let's start with January. I won't be noting as much as often, you know, him going to church or him, uh, some of the basic stuff like having captains over and that sort of thing. It, that's, we've gotten used to that. The main thing he does is write letters, uh, you know, entertain sea captains that he's given tobacco to load up his sloop. And, uh, but I will still be keeping an eye on, uh, his, uh, coercive techniques when it comes to his labor and his family. Uh, so January 9th, we'll uh, start off with. In the evening, Joe Wilkinson's wife came to beg her husband, but I would not speak to her for fear of being persuaded by her tears, which women have always ready at command. At night, I read some news and drank a bottle of cider. Uh, interesting, just... Uh, I think this is the second time he's had this sort of weakness of not even uh, wanting to face the uh, wife or I believe it's in wife's full time of the man that he's fired. Of course, you know, Virginia's tough. I don't know what happened. I don't know how easy it is to go find another job. This sort of mercantile feudal period. We go on the 12th. Uh, we walked to Mrs. Harrison's to see Mr. Perry. Remember, Mr. Perry is his creditor. Perry and, and creditor, as in, uh, you know, was his dad's creditor also. One of the, actually the biggest tobacco ex- exporter through the end of the uh, 17th century. And, you know, going into the 18th. As of right now, we're still in the in the high point. <clears throat> and the thing to note about Perry's is... Uh, They've been very close. Bird went to live with them when he was younger in London. Uh, absolutely deep into the uh, 
like one of the primary families in developing tobacco plantation slave system. I'll read from I'll read from our good buddy Peter Limbaugh in the London Hanged. Perry was the grandson of the founder of a London tobacco dynasty. His dealings set in motion the labors of thousands of men and women in three continents. Scarcely a planter in Virginia was not in debt to him. In the year White was hanged, White being a guy who stole from him, William Byrd, the Virginia magnate, confided that he had sold, quote, land and Negroes to stay the stomach of that hungry magistrate, referring to Perry. Perry had majority control in the fortune of the Randolph family of Virginia. Perry was a leading banker in New York and Pennsylvania, possessing large interests in shipping and the slave trade. A prominent member of the Board of Trade and Plantations, the father of a future Lord Mayor of London himself, an alderman of the city, a magistrate at Guildhall and the Old Bailey. He was both White's nemesis, the guy that was hung for stealing from him, and the personification of English mammon. So again, I always note, you know, Bird writes a lot of letters, but when he when Perry gets involved, uh, it becomes interesting. Mackay Perry, and he will be very involved this year because we get word of Colonel Park's death. Bird's stepfather, who was, if you listen to the manic opening of the first seventeen oh nine episode, governor of the Leeward Islands. Always wanted to be a governor of Virginia. That's where he was born. Um, but was made governor of the Leeward Islands after a sort of Paul Revere-type situation in a battle where he uh, got the news back to everyone of a victory. Anyway, he was killed in a... a looks like a slave uprising, but without... Or a slave colony uprising, let's call it that. Their motivations um, are a bit more... Um, I don't want to overcharacterize here. But so later, yeah, Perry will get involved to settle uh, Park's uh, debts because Perry was Park's banker and as well, um, as well as the guy who Perry got, William Byrd II himself on the governor's council. So a creditor who's also lining up all of the political appointments. So this is very much a financier-driven situation here. Byrd was, would be in debt to Perry uh, for basically the – until the 1730s uh, or deep in or a little bit even beyond them because he decided to take over Colonel Park's debts, uh, which were significant because he wanted to not have to sell all of Colonel Park's land. So yeah, Mr. Heron, see Mr. Perry's papers delivered to Mr. Clayton. I stayed there till about 11 o'clock and returned home uh, where I found Tom Ludd. I, I'm going to say Ludd. We don't have the vowels. Tom Ludd, who gave my wife bad language, and I gave him chase with my cane, but could not overtake him. So very picaresque sort of little scene there. 14 at night, we had another Negro girl dead. I mean, that's another thing is you realize the turnover the, the, um, the, for his slaves and even some of his, and his indentured people. They just die constantly. At 15, we have more evidence of uh, slave dealings. About 7 o'clock, Tom returned from carrying the new Negroes to the falls, which would be up by Richmond, uh, and told me they were all well, thank God. And then here, I think we'll talk about uh, slavery of Native Americans. 22, I ordered the sloop to be unloaded. That's what takes sort of his trading uh, vessel. Redskin Peter pretended to be sick, and I put a branding iron on the place he complained of and put the bit upon him. 
And then the very next day, my sick people were better, thank God, and Redskin Peter was particularly well and worked as well as anybody. Now, that's a good time that I need to go into Arwen, uh, Dr. Arwen Smallwood talking to Michael Yuri on Native American slavery. Actually, I'm going to include an extra uh, bit on this that I think is important to uh, for the context of escapes and also in the context of why uh, reactionaries might use a phrase like drain the swamp. And lots of Native Americans and Africans move into the Great Dismal Swamp and they intermarry. And they're also runaway white indentured servants or whites who just don't want to be under um, Virginia rule. The Great Dismal Swamp is uh, significant here. It's uh, bet- on the border between North Carolina and Virginia on the sort of uh, eastern side. Who move into the Great Dismal Swamp as well. And then you see down in the southeast with the Alligator Swamp, it's the same thing. And you need to remember, so if you're studying early colonial documents, that the Virginians considered northeastern North Carolina to be Virginia. They called it Old Virginia. So eastern North Carolina, all this area that you see shaded in gray, all of this is considered Virginia. And um, and so Virginia pretty much policed the area, but they continued to expand west and try to uh, acquire, uh, you know, good tobacco land uh, in the coastal plains and in the Piedmont. And they just didn't have the energy to try to track these uh, maroon communities uh, in the Great Dismal Swamp, which I've already uh, explained, were uh, basically independent, sovereign Indian, Indian, African mixed nations in the Great Dismal Swamp and the Alligator Swamp of eastern North Carolina. What they did is just went around it. They tried to avoid those people, but those people existed as independent sovereign people in those areas. And it became you know, somewhat problematic uh, for them um, until they began to drain the swamps to try to get those people out. See. So we see large numbers of white indentured servants. We see large numbers of English settlers beginning to move into the British um, colonies uh, in the Caribbean, as well as in Virginia and North Carolina, and even in the Northeast and places like Massachusetts. And because of the importance of tobacco and the expansion of tobacco plantations throughout Virginia and northeastern North Carolina, the need and the demand for labor became very intense. And they will begin the process of importing large numbers of Africans as well. And so we see, you know, eventually uh, tens, you know, hundreds, thousands of Africans being brought into North Carolina and Virginia uh, and into the 13 colonies, as well as the British Caribbean. So we see the development of colonies, of English influence, you know, the English colonies in Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland, and even in New England with Massachusetts, as well as uh, places like Rhode Island and Connecticut. But there were other European nations, the Dutch along the Hudson River Valley, uh, the French along the St. Lawrence River Valley, um, and even, um, you know, the Swedes. So we have other Europeans who are attempting to settle. But in all of these areas, there are Africans being introduced as slaves in all of these areas. And these Africans are running away. And these native people are taking these Africans in and they're intermixing and intermarrying with them. And they are opposed, you know, in the Northeast, the Northeastern Indians uh, stand opposed to slavery. Now, why this is the case, I'm not completely sure, but the Six Nations, uh, the Mohawks, the Oneidas, the Onondagas, the Cayugas, and the Tuscaroras, along with the Maharans and Nataways, who are their brothers and kinsmen, uh, tended to stand against African and Indian slavery, and they tended to oppose the expansion of slavery into their territories. And you can see there the locations of their territories on this map and also the Indians that are aligned with them, which would include the Delaware Indians, the Nanticoke Indians, and even uh, those uh, members of the Powhatan Confederacy who have not already been enslaved or uh, you know destroyed by the English in the Chesapeake uh, 
the River Valley or the Chesapeake Bay region. Again, we'll talk a little bit about um, the slave trade, the Native American slave trade and the African slave trade. And I should be able to touch on the Tuscarora War. Many people know about the African slave trade. Fewer people know about the Native American slave trade. There were millions of Native Americans, beginning with the Spanish in the Caribbean, uh, who were shipped out of the British Caribbean. We talked about this in the last presentation, back to Spain and Portugal, and many of the women were sold as sex slaves and concubines to the various uh, families in Europe. The same thing happened in North America. Uh, people tend to not understand that there was a brisk Native American slave trade, and that yes, other Native Americans uh, assisted the English in enslaving Native Americans. This sort of thing is always, um, it's sort of like a thing we know and don't know at the same time. I mean, and I think we definitely, there's definitely greater awareness of it. I mean, we, you know, it's evident in Hope Leslie, for instance, uh, if you look back at those episodes. And I think uh, Smallwood gets into it, maybe uh, addressing the point at a different part in the two-part episode here. But just to, you know, for the... Uh, the libertarian point that slavery existed for eons and eons and we only finally got rid of it, which is that the sort of slavery that existed between Native American tribes, similar to slavery in Africa until it got in <laughs> completely changed and I guess put on steroids, if you of the, the steroids of capital uh, with the triangle slave trade and introduced into the market of capitalism, which is that the, first of all, it wasn't uh, a condition that would immediately be imposed onto your children. Uh, second of all, you were allowed to uh, become part of the tribe often after a series of trials. Daniel Boone was famously made to run the gauntlet by Shawnees. And I don't mean to spoil the Daniel Boone story, but uh, he was not sold by those Native Americans and transported to other colonies to work back-breaking labor. Uh, he was allowed to like basically be one of them until he could you know, wander off as an escapee. Anyway, let's go back to the uh, real professor. And so we see that the uh, Tuscaroras were caught up in this trade. Uh, Native people were not unlike Europeans or like African peoples. They had long-standing disagreements and conflicts with one another. The Catawbas, the Cherokees, the Creeks, um, the Yamasees, um, they did not get along with the Tuscaroras and their allies, you know, the Six Nations or uh, the other Indian groups that were aligned with them, like the Saponis and the Tutelos uh, and the Choanotes. And so then when the English offered guns and gunpowder and munitions to Native Americans, if they would assist them in destroying Native nations uh, or enslaving those nations, there were nations uh, that did involve themselves in that uh, slave trade. So like Africans being involved in the African slave trade and then selling those Africans to Europeans, there were Indians who were involved in the native slave trade and they used the weapons that the English gave them to defeat and destroy their enemies. And those Indians were sold off into slavery. Uh, one of the largest, uh, biggest causes of the Tuscarora War was the kidnapping and enslavement of Tuscarora women and children, which was occurring by white settlers who were moving into eastern North Carolina and um, by uh, other groups of people. This uh, set off the Tuscarora War, which became the bloodiest and most destructive war in colonial North Carolina history. But there were tens of thousands of Indians, millions of Indians that were um, kidnapped and sold into slavery and shipped to the British Caribbean. 
while I have this illustration up, I will mention just very briefly. Uh, generally speaking, uh, the men and boys were sometimes shipped to places like Massachusetts and to New York uh, and Philadelphia. But what they didn't realize is that the Tuscaroras in particular were allies with the Six Nations. So as soon as these Indian males got north, they ran away to the Six Nations. And as I said, the Six Nations never returned slaves. And in fact, it was almost uh, inciting a major continental war with the enslavement of Tuscaroras. So they began to ship the Tuscarora men uh, and boys uh, over a certain age to the Caribbean, to Jamaica, St. Kitts, Nevis. And they would be seasoned there. They could not run away. They could not get back. They knew the landscape in North America better than the English did. So they couldn't escape and get back to their people. So they sent them to the Caribbean. They kept Native American women and they shipped African men who had been seasoned in the British Caribbean to the mainland. And they intermarried them or bred African men with Native women. And, of course, the native men that were sent to the British Caribbean, they paired them with African women in the Caribbean. So there was a process and this trade did exist. North Carolina was a part of the trade, uh, one of the causes for the Tuscarora War. And even at the end of the Tuscarora War, over a third of the people are going to be slaughtered in the war. A third of the people are going to be enslaved and shipped to various plantations in Virginia, North Carolina and the British Caribbean. And they're going to be made into slaves and they're going to be mixed with African people. This is a forced mixing. Uh, biracial, triracial mixing. And we've talked about all the different ways in which uh, Native people are mixed with Africans. Next slide, please. Yeah, and uh, he mentions the uh, that being a forced mixing. The talk is a lot on uh, a lot of the mixing that happens in the North Carolina area of, he says triracial because uh, including the strong black indigenous identity that he sort of uh, follows in North Carolina. There's the White indentured servitude, or white indentured servants who also escaped the woods, and there's also a bit that I want to include here, and I'll include the uh, links to this show. Uh, it's great, it's a couple hours, but a great, great talk, and more people should should uh, to check it out. But there's a very interesting part about Spain, and the role of the Spanish colonies and sort of teaching the native populations a lot of lessons about Europeans before the English ever got there. Uh, I'll just start this. This is from part one, actually. And it's important for people to understand that the Spanish were in North America first, that the Spanish, you know, did detailed maps of uh, the southeastern part of the United States, Florida, uh, Texas, Louisiana, uh, South Carolina, they mapped Indian nations and Indian villages. So uh, the Spanish had a great knowledge of the native peoples of North America. Next slide, please. But very few people, I think, understand that the Spanish also had incursions into North Carolina. Uh, that the Spanish raided the coast of North Carolina for slaves. There was a very brisk Native American slave trade that was conducted by the Spanish in which they enslaved native women and children, particularly women. They shipped them back to Europe to serve as concubines and sex slaves for the Europeans. So there was a very brisk slave trade in the British in the uh, in the Caribbean that the Spanish controlled before the British arrived in Mexico and in Central America, as well as in uh, North America. And so as this map illustrates, uh, the Spanish were all along the coast of North Carolina. Um, they raided vi villages along the coast in Virginia and North Carolina, South Carolina and Florida. They attempted to plant settlements and they did establish um, colonies in Florida and in North Carolina, uh, in uh, Florida, 
uh, South Carolina and also Virginia. I think very few people realize, along with DeSoto and Pardo's uh, expeditions into the western part of North Carolina, where they uh, spread disease and attacked Indians, very few people realize that in uh, 1570, the Spanish established a mission, a Catholic church, in um, what is now Jamestown, Virginia, and attempted to convert the Indians of Virginia to Catholicism. Uh, and so they, they had a tremendous impact on uh, the peoples, the native peoples of North Carolina and Virginia and South Carolina, but throughout the Southeast, uh, that will lead to mixing between Indians, Africans, and Europeans. And then the campaigns through that region. I mean, if you look at these drawings were done by Bartholomew, who accompanied the Spanish conquistadors uh, in their campaigns in North Carolina and throughout the Americas. Different native villages looked different. The way they built their houses were different. Very clear from this illustration that these are longhouses. The Iroquois built longhouses. And so you can tell Tuscarora, Meharan, Nottaway houses, as well as the rest of the Six Nations from other Indian nations, because they had a distinct look. But the Spanish attacked these houses and attacked these people, seizing their food, supplies, um, you know, burning and destroying their communities, taking their women and children, and generally intimidating the people, uh, using war dogs to, to, to hunt people down, rip them to pieces. Uh, I apologize again for some of these slides. They're graphic. Uh, but these are the things that happened to Native people by the Spanish uh, in uh, the southeast, but also in North Carolina. They murdered chiefs, like I said, they raided their villages, they burned houses, uh, took belongings, uh, and again, to intimidate and instill fear uh, in Native communities uh, throughout um, the Southeast, but particularly in North Carolina and Virginia. So you see the graphic nature of this, you know, the burning alive of Native people, the hanging of chiefs and clan mothers, the taking of their children and women. Uh, again, it's a very violent campaign. Um, this is an image of a native people's hands and feet being chopped off, uh, you know, by the Spanish. Now, before I found these images, there was a in, at the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia. Uh, they have, um, you know, oral uh, recorded, uh, audio recorded and transcribed um, histories by Tuscaroras that were, that were uh, taught, told you know, to observers. And one of those uh, histories, one of those stories is about the handless mate about the fact that there was this young girl, beautiful young girl, whose hands had been chopped off. Now, I thought that that was just some type of metaphor. I thought that was a story that was just told to young kids to kind of, you know, keep them on the right path. But when I found these drawings by Bartholomew, I understood that this was actually a true event. It's something that actually had happened, and it had stayed with the Tuscarora people for generations, and it was recorded in their stories that were passed down from generation to generation. I mean, I think that's a pretty profound testament to the idea that, you know, uh, I mean, I, researching, for instance, the um, the expulsion of the Sioux from Minnesota, and you see a lot of a lot of poo-pooing of indigenous oral histories, and I think that's a good illustration of maybe you know we should take those. Uh, seriously, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, very excellent points from, uh, from the doctor there. Move a little bit further. You know, I said uh, on the twenty second, Redskin Peter pretended to be sick, and I put a brandy and iron on the place he complained of, and put the bit upon him. 
Of course, yeah. As he mentioned last in the last episode, we talked a lot about how frequent runaways were. And where do you think you go? You don't go to another English colony or Spanish colony. Uh, although later, that gets a little bit complicated. But um, but as of now, yeah, you're going to go to the Native Americans. And uh, another thing that I, I don't want to just play all of, uh, all of what uh, Adwin said there. Arwin. I don't want to play all of what Arwin. Uh, Arwin D. Small. That's why I put the D in there. I don't want to play all of what uh, Arwin said. I think you should go listen to the interview itself. A very interesting section at the start of part two about what he called Drake's Regiment, 1586, 33 years before 1619, and one year before the uh, uh, Roanoke, Croatoan, uh, you know, disappeared colony would arrive. Dr- Francis Drake would release 700 or so Africans that were fighting for England against the Spanish as a reward for their service onto the same spot. Uh, and Arwen points out that they had tactical and health sort of, you know, obviously virological uh, advantages over the natives that would have made them very likely like a, a, a group that big and that ready to, you know, survive in the land like soldiers can would have survived. So that's again, 33 years before 1619. Um, they had tactical material health advantage. Uh, and, you know, we're also we're sort of used to that idea, right? Um, or we should be. Um, we're not used to it, but it's not uh, missing from our cultural record. Othello uh, in Shakespeare, right? The Moorish, um, Moorish soldier. Um, and Arwen speculates that they basically uh, just like that lot, quote lost colony, the uh, that wrote Croatoan on the on the tree almost certainly they just melded into the tuscaroras and so you get what uh it's called tuscarora eye arwin points out it um which is this sort of blue green gray eyes that are uh sort of evident in the among particularly the tuscarora tribe and then you and you also see a lot of evidence of these uh 700 africans that Drake's regiment. So that's a very fascinating little wrinkle on the um, on the sixteen nineteen. You know, as a start date. You know, not so fast um, because you know he mentions among these Africans, there's a whole bunch of different sorts. You have Black Africans, Caribbean Indigenous, Moors, Muslims, and Jews. Uh, Arwen points out again. So uh, let's uh, yeah, we'll continue there. But um, the very next day after the bit and the branding. Says my uh, bird writes, my sick people were better, and Redskin Peter was particularly well and worked as well as anybody. We have, uh, you know, he's a little bit annoyed with his wife, but he plays piquet with her, even though it was against my inclination on the 24th. We have some uh, another romance uh, on the 28th where he says, I thought a great deal about religion. I ate nothing but salad for dinner, and in the afternoon I rogered my wife on the couch, then took a little nap. On the 31st, we got a big fight with the wife. Three days later, my wife quarreled with me about not sending for Mrs. Dunn when it rained to lend her John. She threatened to kill herself but had more discretion. I danced my dance and then read some English about love. So he really knows how to comfort himself after domestic uh, foibles. February is another uh, uh, labor and feminist readings here. Uh, got a little bit both on 
on the first here. I beat my cousin Susan for not learning to read, which I don't know if that's a prescribed technique. On the second, I chastised Maul and Eugene for not doing their business on pretense of sickness. He really doesn't believe people are sick, even though a whole bunch of people are dying of sickness around him that he uh, uh, actually owns on a balance sheet. Um, in the afternoon, Mr. Dunn and I went to Mr. Harrison's where we found Colonel Hill and Mr. G and Mrs. Anderson. I bought two Negroes, and again, more slave uh, dealings. I bought two Negroes of Miss Harrison for the governor for 63 pounds. She was out of humor about her accounts. So she's stressing for finances. Sell a couple Negroes. Give it to the governor. I settled several accounts uh, and wrote a letter to the governor to send with the Negroes, which I bought for him. So you know, might as well use them as uh, post office workers. So five, they're preparing to go to Williamsburg. My wife and I quarreled about her pulling her brows. She threatened she would not go to Williamsburg if she might not pull them. I refused, however, and got the better of her and maintained my authority. So he maintained his authority. Uh, they go to Williamsburg. Um, about seven o'clock, the uh, company went in coaches to the governor's house, to the cap. Uh, from the governor's house to the Capitol, where the governor opened the ball with a French dance with my wife. Then I danced with, Miss, with Mrs. Russell and several others, among the rest, Colonel Smith's son, who made a sad freak. I don't really know what that means. If that Colonel Smith's son's, I guess, a sad freak. Uh, the funny thing is on the next day, uh, about 11 o'clock, my wife and I went to wait on the governor in the president's coach. We went there to take our leave, but were forced to stay all day. The governor had made a bargain with his servants that if they would forbear to drink upon the queen's birthday, they might be drunk this day. They observed their, con they observed their contract and did their business very well and got very drunk today in such a manner that Mrs. Russell's maid was forced to lay the cloth. But the cook in that condition made a sh shift to send in a pretty little dinner. So uh, interesting that... I like you bargain, you give the servants a day to get wasted if they behave themselves on uh, on the queen's birthday. We see a lot of his birds fixation here on the ninth with uh, pretty women. At Mister B's, we saw a pretty girl called Mistress King who had four hundred pounds to her fortune. And then here we have his wife getting in a fight with little Jenny, who is frequently whipped and. Here we go. I danced my dance and then went to the brick house to see my people pile the planks and found them all idle, for which I threatened them soundly, but did not whip them. In the evening, my wife and little Jenny had a great quarrel in which my wife got the worst of it. But at the last, by the help of the family, Jenny was overcome and soundly whipped. Yeah, I mean, nuts. She fighting with the uh, the mistress. I mean, go Jenny. Because um, uh, as we as we mentioned, Lucy Park, uh, Bird's wife, definitely has her father, Colonel Park's uh, temper when it comes to uh, dealing with servants. Uh, March 2nd, this is interesting. The boat rate was affronted. I gave him pone instead of English bread for breakfast and took his horse and rode away without saying anything a word. He gets in, he offends the boat rate a couple times this year. We'll, we'll talk about another one. And it's interesting that, you know, you can tell the um, the sort of, uh, you know, I'm not a slave. Pwned is something, a slave. Um, probably, I, don't, I assume this guy, I, well, I don't know, I guess I maybe wouldn't want to make an assumption about uh, his racial background. But that's an important thing for him. Uh, regardless of, uh, of his race, he's a free man selling his labor. 
he wants a, something a little bit better than what you're giving um, slaves. I'll, we should maybe cut a little bit of slack for um, Lucy Park saying that about her temper. I mean, not that she should attack um, uh, Jenny. But she, uh, she is about to miscarry a child. And on the third, my wife endeavored to cut a bone of pork, but Mr. Dunn took the dish and cut it for himself, which put my wife into great disorder. I mean, imagine a faux pas. I mean, but this really, really upsets her. Put my wife into a great disorder and made her void blood so that she seemed to be going to miscarry. And Mr. Dunn had not the manners to ask pardon. He went away in the rain this afternoon and so did Mr. Randolph. I mean, that's, that's a, Tough. I mean, I was just trying to cut the pork. I didn't mean to, you know, make you so upset. Uh, 11 here, we have the news of uh, Lane's death. He is the partner of Perry, who Micaiah Perry is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the creditor for Bird. Uh, about 10 o'clock, this is the 11th of March. About 10 o'clock, Colonel Hill came but brought me no letters but told us very bad news of the fleet which wanted some vessels. That six of them were taken and two burnt, but he could not tell which they were. And also that Mr. Lane was dead, that tobacco was worth nothing, and that the King of France had coined money which thus necessitated a new, a beginning of war. Then we went to church and I heard Mr. Goodwin preach a good sermon. After church, Mr. Goodwin invited us to dinner and ate fish. Here we saw a fine widow, Mrs. Osborne, who had been handsome in her time. Again, like every time at church, it's, I mean, which I frankly can relate to a little bit. Uh, the main thing I did in church when I was younger is, you know, got got girls in my school that I had crushes on. Um, here, in my, here we saw a fine widow, Mrs. Osborne, who had been handsome in her time. From hence, we went to, to Mr. B's, where we drank cider and saw Molly King, a pretty brunette girl. A black girl, he calls her, but it means brunette. Uh, then we went uh, over the river to my brother Duke's. Again, we got on the 12th, quarrel with the boat, right? About his making a horse, uh, which he told me was not his business. On the 20th, we got uh, some whipping here. I made an indifferent dinner this day because Maul had not boiled the bacon half enough, which I gave her some stripes under which she... And then we only have the consonants B-S-T herself. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I've seen Bird use the word be shit. And I think that's what he means, which that is he whipped her so hard that she shit herself. And because his bacon wasn't boiled enough. So that's, uh, that's William Bird II. Um, and given some stripes, I've always wondered about the phrase, earn your stripes. And if it's definitely about the things put on military uh, military uniforms and not the whip, which, as we see, you know, I can't get over this. Destiny asking Richard Wolf up top, like, how much... Consequentially, there are five major hurdles that no socialist I have ever spoken to has adequately addressed, and they are as follows. Number one, what level of violence is acceptable for you to reach our socialist state? So, uh, less than achieved our capitalist one would be my simple answer to that. On the 26th, we have a sign of maybe uh, rumblings of the Tuscarora. The Nataways were aligned with Tuscaroras. I neglected to say my prayers in my bow of milk. Several, of my, several Indians came here yesterday to complain that the Nataway Indians and several northern Indians had conferred together to cut them off. I told the governor of it, and he sent an order to the Nataways to forbid them and ordered Colonel Harrison to cause some of the northern Indians to come to him and declare their business. The Nataways are interesting. Uh, 
there was a what was known as again this is from Dr. Arwen Smallwood the uh, Great Slave Insurrection by uh, Tuscaroras in uh, 1801 also Nat Turner uh, was himself a Nottaway Indian uh, um, we have a uh, we have a bird dealing with a domestic abuser um, here on the 31st my wife told me of the misfortunes of Mrs. Dunn, that her husband had beat her that, and that she had complained of Mr. G. to it, who had made Mr. Dunn swear that he would never beat her again, that he threatened to kill her and abused her extremely and told her that he would go from her. I was sorry to hear it and told my wife if he did go from her, she might come here. Mrs. Russell had, and then he later says in the same entry, Mrs. Russell has good sense. Uh, and very good breeding, but can hardly forbear being hysterical, notwithstanding it is with good manners. Just an interesting uh, array of thoughts there from uh, Bird on Women. One, you know, you uh, like the offer of charity to a woman who's being beaten, but um, <laughs> also <laughs> the, the sense that like he's annoyed at how big of a thing people are making out of it. Maybe that's unfair. April 12th. Important day. I received a letter this morning from Mr. C.S. in Barbados, which told me the sad news that my father Park was shot through the head in the Leeward Islands. He told me no particulars because it was a melancholy subject. I told it to my wife as gently as I could, and it affected her very much, but I comforted her as well as I could by telling her that his enemies killed him because he should not make their villainy appear in England. My wife could eat nothing at dinner, but I ate some boiled veal and bacon. In the afternoon, I weighed some money and then came with my cousin Betty Harrison. You know, the rain blew hard. They pray and stuff. So that's Park's death. So here is some con- here is some context from Helen Hill Miller's uh, "The Greatest Hector in the Town" on Colonel Park uh, and his assassination. In seventeen ten. Drought and disease decimated crops and populations in the Lesser Antilles. Park reported that among his soldiers every fifth or sixth man was dead of a fever and sore throat. Unrest spread along the entire island chain. In January, Park took the precaution of making a will. When the economic crisis forced the governor to call a meeting of the Leeward Islands legislature in order to obtain emergency funds, a dispute over who had the right to appoint the assembly's clerk. The members or the governor broke the session up in a riot, on June 10th, in Virginia, Byrd received a visit from a member of the Bland family who came from Williamsburg and told us that Park was recalled from his governorship. On August 15th, an ambiguous letter from Park partially denied this, he told us he was going to England but was not put out and though he was dismissed he should not be put out if he could justify himself from the accusation against him. In fact, Nevine had returned from England, bringing an order from Lord Sunderland that required Park to come home with the Autumn Fleet to stand trial before the Queen declaring that he had not been informed of the main charges against him until the day before the fleet sailed, Park did not comply. On September 9th, he sent a 104-page refutation of the complaints against him, but on September 29th, after hearing that Sunderland had been replaced by Lord Dartmouth as Secretary of State, he took heart and promised to be in London by Christmas. He was still toying with the idea that a successful parliamentary candidacy could free him from his governorship. On November 11th, he was referring to his assets in England a clear estate of pound 550 a year in Hampshire and another in Middlesex and noting I will be home time enough to be chosen into the house, 
if the parliament is not dissolved until after the season 3. In the islands, his prospects were grim. Over recent months, the planters had acquired a new cause for resentment. During the last years of Park's tenure, not all of the settlers' grievances had been related to public affairs. The wrath that inflamed his official opposition was also fed by the extent to which the governor had been trifling with other men's wives and daughters. Although the settlers' own morals were those of a frontier town, they expected, and indeed enforced, a certain mutual respect of turf. Codrington had had an illegitimate son while governor, but he had been discreet about it. It was quite otherwise when Catherine, wife of Edward Chester, was delivered of a daughter. Park's public acceptance of paternity included endowing the baby with the name Lucy, the same as his mother and one of his legitimate daughters in Virginia. So when Chester swore that he would gladly lie seven years in hell to be avenged, no one thought he was referring solely to Park's interference with his smuggling ventures. Enlisting alleged wrongs done to Edward Chester, a pamphlet published in London in 1713, some instances of the oppression and male administration of Park, late governor of the Leeward Islands, states the main grievances of the islanders on both public and private account. On the public score, the author stresses Park's persecution of Chester under the acts of trade, by making frequent and groundless seizures of his goods, and by this means got into his possession a considerable part of Mr. Chester's estate. Park's searches and seizures are said to have taken him into Chester's house at unseasonable times, and in different disguises. When Chester by chance, caught him skulking behind the door of a room adjoining to Mrs. Chester's bedchamber, Park drew his sword and offered to fight. Chester was unarmed, and undressed to his shirt. Whistling up two attending soldiers for support, Park ended the incident by threatening to ruin Chester if he did not take in his wife again, whom he had turned out of doors upon this occasion. For Park did not leave the islands in time to be back in London by Christmas. A new French threat brought warships to Martinique, forcing him to call an assembly session in December to vote for arms and make plans for defense, even though tensions between himself and the assembly were stretched to the snapping point. On December 5th, just before the session was scheduled to open, assembly members forced themselves into government house where Park was sitting in council and attempted to hand him a petition announcing that they were withdrawing our obedience from U.S. Chief Governor. He refused to receive it and prorogued the session for two days, during which time he holed up in the building, stationing soldiers at the windows and manning a few artillery pieces outside. During this interval, assembly members and settlers consulted with each other. Park offered to yield on a number of points, but on nothing related to his commission. The foreseeable explosion occurred on the morning of December 7. Legislators and militia crowded into one of the two meadows adjacent to government house, the general citizenry into the other. Then, advancing to the door, they attempted to present a petition, the address to Governor Park sent from the inhabitants with arms, asking the governor to withdraw to a retired position, perhaps to Nevis, while the council and assembly agreed on measures of defense. He refused, replying that he was the queen's representative and so long as he had breath in his body would not yield to force. According to one account, he then ordered one of the cannon outside to be fired into the crowd. The settlers forced their way indoors. Shortly, shots were exchanged. Park killed Captain Piggott, leader of the citizen contingent, one of whose partisans shot, though he did not kill, Michael Ayon, a Park supporter. A bullet penetrated Park's thigh and broke the bone. But, though depositions and affidavits were promptly taken, there is little certainty about what else actually occurred on that bloody forenoon. The statements of eyewitnesses, each firmly declaring that what he or she affirmed was true, present irreconcilable OB observations. 
there is agreement that following the shooting in Doors Park was carried out of government house and laid in the street, and that thereafter he was removed to a nearby house, where he died some two hours later with a physician in attendance. But their agreement ends. What happened at government house when the riot started, and during the interval when Park was carried to the street, are described so variously that reconciliation of the accounts is impossible. Some participants were ready to swear that prior to being carried outside, Park was beaten with musket butts until his back was broken. Those who held to the scenario went on to say that while indoors he was stripped naked, with the rioters sharing the clothes as they took them off. The locket given him by the Queen was subsequently exhibited as a prize trophy by a rioter alternatively described as a butcher or a farrier, he could have been both. The government house that Park had built at public expense was in the opinion of many on a scale far in excess of island requirements. Its entrance was approached by an imposing flight of stone steps such as one might admire before a building of some importance in London. When, seizing him by an arm and his uninjured leg, the crowd dragged him out into the street, the rioters viewed and heard with relish the bumping of his head from one step to the next all the way down, all the accounts refer to it, though there is no estimate of how much this treatment contributed to his death. Once in the street he was laid down in the scorching sun, out of whose heat he begged to be removed. A woman who tried to bring him water was threatened to have a sword in her guts, a man went to him. When he was dying and spit in his face. Only after that sequence of torment was he taken to the adjacent dwelling. Point five. yet testimony equally firmly held, but opposite in content, states that such accounts are sufficiently confuted by the answer of Dr. Gukbanan, upon oath to the derogatories exilted to him at Antija in Council, who was the Chiyurjan that attended upon the governor, and declares that he came out of the house at the same time that the governor was carried out, and that he neither saw nor knew that any person had beat, wounded, bruised or dragged him. That he went to the house to which the governor was carried, and tarried with him till his death. So yeah, pretty crazy uh, scenario, even though it's unclear what exactly we could trust from that testimony, but you make a giant courthouse, and... Your head gets bounced out. 24th. At 9 o'clock I went to the council where I procured a patent for the gold mines for Colonel Hill. And uh, at night we diverted ourselves with some Indians. Again, I mentioned earlier, but uh, Bird has a, another literary output called A Progress to the Mines that I might uh, do another solo episode on. 30th, we have uh, interesting discipline... Uh, an interesting incident of discipline. I rose at five o'clock, said a short prayer, drank two dishes of chocolate. Can't imagine doing that. Can't imagine eating chocolate the first thing you do when you wake up. I definitely don't have Oreos in my teeth right now. Then I took my leave about six o'clock and found it very cold. I met with nothing extraordinary in my journey and got home uh, 11 o'clock and found all well, only my wife was melancholy. We took a walk in the garden and pasture. We discovered that by the contrivance of Nurse and Annika Prue, got in at the cellar window and stole some strong beer and cider and wine. I turned Nurse away upon it and punished Annika. In the afternoon, I caused... Oh, yeah, in addition to that, we have a good old-fashioned whipping. I ate some fish for dinner. In the afternoon, I caused Jack and John to be whipped for drinking at John crosses all last saturday and the whipping people for you know getting drunk all day in the evening i took a walk about the plantation found things in good order so you know things are fine but you know don't be drinking and then uh at the end of the 30th 
I gave my wife a powerful flourish and gave her great ecstasy and refreshment. Now, that's better than what he'll do later. May 1st, we also have some more whip. Went to see John at work out the boat. I forgave Annika on my wife and sister's persuasion, but I caused Prue... Oh, Prue's different. It's not Annika Prue. It's Annika and Prue. There wasn't any comma or anything earlier. Uh, to be whipped severely, and she told many things of John Girl for which he was to blame, particularly that he lost the key of the wine cellar and got in at the window and opened the door, and then because he had not the key, the door was left open. Oh, that is a hell of a story. Shit, man. You lose the key, so you break in. And so you go in at the window, but you don't have the key, so you have to leave the door open, so now it's a free-for-all. I remember staying at on-campus housing, Minnesota State University, Moorhead, and uh, the fucking guy at the at the Pepsi machine, and uh, don't cross that picket line, or I mean, actually, there's the deal strike, but fuck, I mean, shouldn't be doing Pepsi or Coke anyway, but anyway... All that is to say, I wasn't purchasing Pepsi because I was just taking it out of the machine because I pushed up against it and felt a little bit of give, and there's a little latch on the side that's supposed to be um, supposed to be padlocked, and it wasn't. It was just swinging free. Whoops. And so for like a week, I would just go and... Snag, uh, you know, Mountain Dew Code Red right out of the thing. It's cool. <clears throat> because I was fighting capitalism is what uh, is what I was doing there. Talk about how much alcohol is in Ebenezer Cook's poems. Oh, yeah. So this is uh, in addition to what happened yesterday. I settled some accounts, and particularly with George Carter, who I scolded for drinking with my people at John Cross's. In the evening, my sister went to Colonel Epps, and my wife and I took a walk about the plantation. Um, there was no drinking at court. So, a little bit of anti-alcohol uh, thing going on here, but we'll see how long that lasts among the uh, wealthy um, elite here. A lot of rumors on the 5th. Just as it was dark, Mr. Clayton from Williamburg, Williamsburg came and brought no news, only that Mrs. Russell was going to Pennsylvania for her recovery, which some think is to lay a great belly there, but this is a malicious idea. So some people think she's pregnant and trying to go have the kid on the low. And then uh, later, Captain Posford was here this afternoon and told me our nurse was drunk aboard his ship and the smith lay with her. So these fucking guys, the captain telling the fucking master, I guess who was fucking... I guess I used the F word a little bit too much in that to make maybe, maybe make my meaning clear. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's uh, Bird's business. The seventh, he drubs a guy for smoking tobacco. Um, going through May, uh, his wife is having difficulty with the pregnancy. On the 16th, we get a particularly uh, nasty entry here. I rogered my wife, in which she took but little pleasure in her condition. He starts to make his will on the 23rd, which he says he's never done before. On the 25th, Father Park's will arrives. It's two letters from the Bishop of London and one from the Leeward Islands containing a copy of my Father Park's will in which I thank him. He gave me nothing, 
but gave his estate in this country to my sister Custis and his estate in the island to the daughter of Mrs. Chester. That's uh, Park's mistress. Ultimately, Bird would get his hands on this uh, land, and uh, not only land, but uh, the uh, human beings that are working it. But it comes at a price because it turns out that Park is extremely, extreme. turns out a guy who would fire a cannon into a crowd of people that are protesting him was in money, money problems. There's some economic anxiety there. 29, there's a bit of, bit of coal speculation that I find interesting that's everywhere. It's very um, colonialism. That's, you got to keep an eye out for the quarries. You see that in uh, the Bismarck Tribune in the 1870s, too, is my other uh, available reference point. 31, my wife is indisposed. And then Tom was sick, and I gave him a purge, which worked very well. I believe his sickness proceeded from my threatening to whip him for not taking care of the horses. More uh, whip. Starting the month with a whip, ending it with a whip. Start of June, there's a steer that's damaging fences, so he's got to kill it. For, on the 4th of uh, June, I threatened Will Wilkins for stealing the apples and denying it when he had done, but I forgave him. At night, I caused the steer to be killed that had broken in my cousin Harris's cornfield, yep, as I mentioned it, um, and sent her part of it to make amends. 7th, there came a man for my advice about a man that had received a kick from a horse, which I gave him as well as I could. The eighth, I received news that one of my mares was killed by a snake or spider for which she was swelled much. I had an account of one of my Negroes' death from above by Will Bass who came over the account with me. So again, I, I'm, I'm missing, I'm not cataloging anymore every instance of that, but because it's just a regular, you know, it's like the, um, it's like punctuation, death of uh, his slaves. On the 12th, you see, you see I mean, as uh, seen earlier, war with France is continuing. On the 18th, we have some smallpox fears. Uh, Colonel Hardman's son had the smallpox on board, on board Colonel Harrison's vessel that has come from Barbados and that nobody would go near him. That's the news. Uh, I settled several accounts and then cycled till dinner. Uh, 21 is an interesting bit of, uh, I guess, uh, paternalist... Keeping the order as the uh, landlord, um, I corrected old Robin the doctor for threatening to poison Frank. Uh, 22nd, we finally get what was sort of foreboding for a while. About 6 o'clock, I went home where I found my wife indisposed and in danger of miscarriage. Persuaded her to be let blood, but which she would not consent. 25th, my wife grew worse and after much trial and persuasion was let blood when it was too late. Captain Sith came about some something he lent my father 20 years ago. My wife grew... Anyway, my wife grew very ill, which made me weep for her. I ate roast mutton for dinner. In the afternoon, my wife grew worse and voided a prodigious quantity of blood. I settled some accounts till the evening, and then I took a walk about the plantation. Before I returned, my wife sent for me because she was very weak and as soon... And soon after I came, she was delivered a false conception and then grew better. And then uh, the 27th, her wife is uh, concerned about the smallpox because one of the women that was there uh, had 
Well, I'll just read it. When my wife heard that Peter Hamlin had the smallpox, she said that she should have them likewise because his mother had been here two nights ago and she had laid on her sheets. So not a great month, June, for Lucy Park. Also, just one more reference. Uh, Mr. Rogers came and paid me 166 pounds for Mrs. Parker. Mrs. Parker must be a servant, or uh, I would think. Um, and then on the 30th, Joe Will, let's call him Joe Willis, came and told me that a Negro I had put to apprentice to him was lame and desired I ordered him to be cured. I told him it was his business to take care of that, which had the service of his labor. I think just like the the um, the way that they – they're all fucking Adam Smith, right? Like <laughs> I told him it was his business to take care of that who had the service of his labor. Like they're very aware that they are exploiting these people for labor. July, we uh, we see word that maybe we want to invade Canada. Again, get – Obviously, the uh, French and Indian or Seven Years' War in the middle of the century here, but we want to go at the French here. It's very clear. Um, on the 4th, he has a sort of Ron Burgundy type day. It was a coolish morning so that I thought it would be a cool day. That is a... Yeah, you can tell it's not going to go well then. I thought it would be a cool day. Mm -hmm. About 11 o'clock, I went over the creek and so rode to Williamsburg, having committed my family to God Almighty. It proved a hot day, and I was very much affected with my journey. When I came to the ferry, it was faint and drank some milk and water. <laughs> some milk, yeah. That's the thing I do when I'm feeling a little bit faint from the heat, is drink milk and water. Just both of those, thank you. That's a great combination. So he says, let me just take this slower for you. When I came to the ferry, I was faint and drank some milk and water, which was wrong. <laughs> then I rode to Colonel Ludwell's, where I drank abundance of water. Here I stayed about two hours and then proceeded to Williamsburg, where I arrived in the evening. Drank some cider with Mr. Bland. Anyway, he gets really sick. And also, there's Marines. Um, so this first instance is... Um, Marines, we heard about the uh, proposed, you know, maybe we should go fight Canada. Also, we're going to send some Marines to Carolina, which is like, this is all before the, um, the sort of massacre and the capture of uh, the folks, uh, Lawson and DeGraffenraid. We'll get to that later. That starts off the Tuscarora War. We're ready to fight. Um, we're ready to... Uh, Project force. Um, but yeah, birds sick. And we had an issue in, you know, like uh, Colonel Park didn't want to, uh, you know, had the, uh, didn't want to let go of the governorship despite the petitions. There was something in North Carolina called Carey's Rebellion this year, which is basically a Quaker, the Quaker Carey didn't want to give up um, uh, yeah, Quaker Thomas Carey didn't want to give up the governorship to Edward Hyde. He gave it up, and then Hyde was going to prosecute basically Queen Anne's uh, war on the Quakers. Queen Anne wanted people to have to vow uh, you know, loyalty to her, and the Quakers, of course, not about that life. 
And we get a little bit of anti-Quaker bigotry uh, from Byrd here where they, actually it's next year. In 1712, uh, on January 5th, they they make the Quaker toast the queen. Byrd does later have to collect uh, or find Quakers. Uh, We'll get into that later, though. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But um, on the 13th, kind of just why I wanted wanted to do Byrd fully before we do Daniel Boone is... Bird's father was a massive Indian trader. We talked about this in the Bacon's Rebellion episode. Um, that is a you know the sloop always goes off. It's not always going to Barbados. We're, he's trading with natives too. Here we have Tony came from Appomattox and told me he had brought in above four hundred skins. Now that's like that is Daniel Boone numbers. Boone just put up huge hundreds of of uh, animal hides. But the Bird family was very much the – obviously, they weren't doing the hunting themselves, but the market um, creators for this. Anyway, Bird's – it's August. Bird's still sick. The doctor gives him the bark treatment, which uh, doesn't sound – well, apparently people try to avoid it. Not a very good or pleasant uh, thing to ingest. 14 is just another good um, – look into management from a plantation master's perspective. In the afternoon came Bannister's mother to account with me. We found the balance more than nine pounds, which I would not take from her in consideration of her son's good service. She was very thankful and gave me her blessing. It was very hot this afternoon. I ordered Mr. Mumford to let Mrs. Epps know she need trouble herself to bring her son no more because I would keep nobody that would follow... I mean... Bird hadn't got the double negative memo. I ordered Mr. Mumford to let Mrs. Epps know she need trouble herself to bring her son no more because I would keep nobody that would not follow orders. So yeah, don't bring your kid he's not following orders. I would be my punch up. We saw we see a lot of militia uh activity. As I mentioned earlier, 22nd again, I caused them all to be beaten for not making my, for not making the shoats fat. Um, all the cook. So there's a lot of like a French man of war. Uh, is in the bay a lot of a lot of paranoia. Um, they told me that Colonel Milner of Nansamond had sent an express yesterday about noon, which said that 15 men of war were come within the Cape. And with several other ships had landed several thousand men on the eastern shore. I believe this is not all true. I partridge for dinner anyway. Uh, there's a lot of military activity, like I said, worried about the French coming in. So they've been creating these beacons, right? Because they're worried the French are going to invade. And these beacons are that you light on fire to send a signal a distance away. Very interesting to me as somebody who studies uh, communication. Uh, these beacons, right? Uh, I believe probably Game of Thrones had shit like this or something. But uh, anyway, presently after came Colonel Littlebury Epps come for news likewise. And as soon as he was gone, Major John Wynne and told me that Prince George County were all in arms because of the alarms in Henrico. I told him the reason of it. He said John Bowling set such a heap of straw on fire in the night that it caused two beacons of Prince George to be set on fire. So over, 
accidentally setting a straw on fire, I guess sending off more than they want. The major had his holsters and girdle and army bear the major had his holsters at his girdle and an armor bearer that carried his pistols, which made a good figure. He would not stay to dinner anyway. In the evening came Mr. Bland's boy with letters and from him and Dr. Coke that told me the seven ships were and told me that the seven ships supposed to be French that entered into James River were English. So it wasn't French ships after all. As soon as I received this account, I sent away expresses to the militia of Henrico to let me know, to let them know it, that they might go home if they pleased. And then the next day, I received a letter from Colonel Ludwell with an order to send the other men to Jamestown because those I sent before complained of their crops and the danger of their families, for which reason he was resolved to discharge them. So basically, false alarm, go bring the crops in. September 1st, we have another wife uh, begging. Remember John Cross where the men were beaten for drinking or whipped for drinking? John Cross's wife came to try to beg for her husband, but she did not succeed. And then we see, so after this fear of uh, French invasion, what should we do with that mobilized army? I mean, some of them, of course, got leave to go back and attend the crops. But here we have, on the 4th, about 12 o'clock came Colonel Epps and his son Frank and Tom Randolph to discuss uh, discourse about the militia of Henrico. I ordered that every week two troops should range at the head of the river, and if they found any Indians on the patented land, to take away their guns. They stayed to dinner, and I ate some salt crab. So yeah, let's, uh, let's go uh, harass the natives with these guys. You see, like, uh, a lot of when these troops are active and sort of in camp, you got to keep them sort of entertained. So you'll have wrestling and foot races and cudgel fighting, all for prizes. We'll zoom a little bit ahead here to the 23rd. Of course, you know, Bird being one of the more powerful men gives this account of in camp. All the rest of the company drank drams plentifully. Everybody showed me abundance of respect. About 10 o'clock, the whole company went to breakfast, and I among them. And I ate some stewed fowl. About 11, we went to church with Will Cannon's troop to wait on me. Where we, And there we found Captain Jefferson, that's of the uh, later Thomas Jefferson, Captain Bowling, Captain Epps, and Captain Worsham's troops and companies, which made a good appearance. Everybody respected me like a king. Uh, they go to church, and yeah, Captain Thomas Jefferson of Henrico County, ancestor of the famous statesman. His will and other references to him in county records show that he was a man of some wealth and importance. Anyway, got some more whippings. They go see uh, Jefferson's militia on the second, do more prizes and stuff like that. I do want to include on this fourth here, where I mentioned about the Quaker politics. They go to militia court. We had our breakfast first, and I ate some boiled beef. About 11 o'clock, we went to militia court, where Captain Bowling and I had a dispute about finding Mr. Morsel, one of my overseers, because he affirmed they ought to make, they ought to buy such Negroes as make a core. So I'm not sure, that's it, but that's interesting. You get, as we mentioned with the Othello reference and uh, Drake's regiment, uh, if you need fighting to be done, and you can compel black people to do it. Someone's always going to suggest maybe we do that. 
Uh, then he says, we find all the Quakers and several others, and the captains agreed to send for trophies. Captain Royal neither came nor returned a list, though he had two Quakers in his company. I spoke gently to the Quakers, which gave them a good opinion of me, and several of them seemed doubtful whether they would be arrested or not in the future. I told them they would certainly be fined five times a year if they did not do as their fellow subjects did. And then the seventh, we get the news uh, that would lead off the Tuscarora War, and we'll uh, play some more from Not Me uh, for that. Um, this is on the 7th of uh, October. I ate boiled milk for breakfast. The fair weather continued. I received a letter from the governor by express, which, by which I learned that 60 people had been killed by the Indians at Noose and about as many more at Pamlico in North Carolina and that he would meet me at Major Harrison's. However, I could not go because I had company. People, they are pissed at him for that. Um, and uh, let's just go to uh, David Lavere, who wrote the book on the Tuscarora War for a quick summary of that. And I'll probably play some Arwen uh, Smallwood too. So we got this guy Lawson who natives begin to associate with their land getting encroached upon. He wrote a, a book on North Carolina uh, before obviously he's captured here that's still cited to this day for some of its, um, as far as I, I've heard. Um, anyway, he, uh, he and this guy, the Swiss um, aristocrat Baron de Graffenrade are going to lead these um, <clears throat> mostly German uh, from the Palatinate region of Germany, the southwestern part, uh, uh, who have, you know, again, France France and English wars, um, they're refugees for that. And Baron de Grafenred is a Swiss guy who's going to lead them into a North Carolina settlement. And the Tuscaroras aren't super thrilled about that. French influence, but to bring bring the Tuscaroras into their League of the Longhouse. And so they will eventually. After mm-hmm. the war, they become the sixth nation of that. But they have different... This goes back to John Lawson. And so John Lawson has this bad reputation. And so in early September of 1711, he has taught Baron de Graffenried to... Let's take a trip up the Neuse River, and let's see if we can see about expanding your colony up the Noose River, look and see if we can find a place to blaze a road from uh, the Noose River on up into Virginia. Let's see how the water level is. And, and again, so when he shows up, he he's, makes a, traveling. he's traveling by canoe or traveling, or by, traveling by canoe, but he also, he brings two African slaves to help kind of row the, they call it a perager. And uh, then he has two do you think Baron de Graffenred is going to row his own fucking canoe? Indians on horses that are supposed to kind of scout and supposed to uh, uh, smooth over any relations with Indians. But Lawson makes a fatal mistake is that he doesn't let uh, King Hancock of the Katechna, town of Katechna, Tuscarora, that he's moved, coming into his territory, which is a, a diplomatic faux pas. And so later on, the Tuscaroras, they find this Indian with a horse, and they ask him who it is, and they talk about 
these two Englishmen up the river in Tuscarora territory, and so the Tuscaroras capture them and bring them back to now King who's, who's, Who do they capture? They capture uh, all of them, all six men, but particularly of interest is Lawson and de Graffenreid. So he's got de Graff, the, the he's, leader of the of the colonies. That's right, and they don't. They, they pretty much know who Lawson is, and they, but they think the they think de Graffenreid might be the governor of the North Carolina colony. And so uh, Governor Hyde. But later on, they find out who he is. And um, they put him on trial. And King Hancock wants to release him. King but Hancock is the head of the, this particular area or this village? Or has he got a, is he a big chief or a he, little chief? He is. He is very significant along the Noose River and Contentnia Creek, which flows into the Noose. He is, his town is called Katechna. But there's several towns right along the uh, along Contentnia Creek and its offshoot, and he's kind of the spokesman for many of those. And so he and he's called king. The English see him as the leading Indian, and that's and therefore call him king. Well, there's a great story about the confinement and the trial of uh, John Lawson and De Graff and Reed. I want you to do. Tell us about that very quickly so we can talk about the war itself. Well, they are put on trial. They, King wants to, King Hancock would like to release them. Then Corps Tom, leader of the Corps Indians, come in and he's able to get kind of get Lawson to start making threats. Lawson starts shooting his mouth off, starts saying that I'm going to take revenge and he loses any support and eventually they decide they're going to execute so they Lawson. Do execute him. They execute Lawson. There's Did they torture him? Well, th- that was the I believe the myth for a long that, that the talk was that they put pitch pine and set it on fire, but all the I guess the better sources say that he was actually his throat was cut with his own straight razor. Governor Spotswood of Virginia who had a really good intelligence service down here. He's the um, they get the pretty straight scoop, and they say, "Yeah, he was. He was throat was cut." Coincidentally, the war starts. And did did this incident start the war, or was the war uh, the attack by the Tuscaroras planned long before this? I think no. It's after this and, uh, that I believe that they have to. How did that? How once did that you, come well, about? once you've killed a colonial official like this, there's going to have to be some response, and they know that the colony's going to have to do something. You just can't kill the surveyor general of the colony, execute him like this, without there being... And I think at this point they say, look, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's go for it. And so they make this alliance, which we call, historians call the Katechna Alliance, because it's centered around King Hancock and his town. So the war starts, just quickly, the the North Carolina colonists didn't have the... Uh, ability to resist it or to fight it. Total surprise attack. What? How did they get help? How did the Indians get no, help? How or? did the uh, well, they, get the, help? the attacks are devastating. Over several days, uh, just about 140 North Carolinians are killed. This vast destruction of cattle and houses and farms, even ships are burned and crops. North Carolina is just in chaos. It's still recovering from the Cary Rebellion, which has made it, which has helped bring this on as well. And so Governor Hyde realized that we can't do anything. They try one small attempt uh, with, with Captain William Bryce to attack Katechen. That's beaten back. And so they appeal to Virginia and South Carolina for help. Virginia says, well, we'll give you some clothing. And South Carolina says, yeah, we're all in because this gives us a chance to take slaves. And that's what is so attractive in South Carolina. So they sent a lot of South Carolina.
I want to uh, let uh, Arwen. I want to include Arwen Smallwood's uh, summary uh, quick here from the Michael Yuri show on the uh, Tuscarora War as well. Uh, as I mentioned, the Tuscarora War was as much about slavery and about the kidnapping and enslaving of Tuscarora women and children and the allies of the Tuscarora, the Agonkawan peoples in eastern North Carolina, uh, uh, as anything else. And that is what will set off that war. And so we see the Tuscarora sitting in eastern North Carolina. I talked about the Cape Fear River being the dividing line between the northeastern Indians and southeastern Indians. And so not just the Tuscaroras, but their allies, the Hatteras, the Cape Fear Indians, you know, that are in eastern North Carolina. These Indians all tend to be opposed to the institution of slavery because so many of their women and children have been enslaved and mixed with Africans. And so they are going to engage in a great war, a great military campaign against the whites to end their uh, expansion and their colonization of their homeland and to basically push them out. Uh, you see to the southeast, those Indians south of the Cape Fear River, the Catawbas, the Yamasee, uh, the Cherokees, the Creek, the Chickasaws, Choctaws, what we eventually call the five civilized tribes. They were all actually um, slaving Indians. They all actually owned slaves and forced march slaves out to Oklahoma when they moved to Oklahoma after Indian removal, but they are involved in the Native American slave trade and later in the capturing of runaway Africans throughout the 16 and 1700s. In fact, the Timica Indians that you see down here in Florida and the Appalachians were completely decimated by the Cherokees and sold off into slavery uh, to Charleston, South Carolina and shipped to the British Caribbean. Um, so slavery had a very negative impact, not just on North Carolina and Virginia, but on the, the Deep South as well. And we still see that lingering and lasting effects of, of, this, uh, of this institution on just not just African people, but Native peoples as well. And again, uh, these are the Native Americans that were in alliance with one another against the, um, the colony of North Carolina during the Tuscarora War. So there were Seneca Indians who had come down from um, um, from uh, the New York State. Uh, there were Iroquois Indians who uh, were supportive, not just the Senecas, all of the Six Nations, but the Senecas, one of the largest groups. Uh, the Monacans, who Jefferson said were Tuscaroras, but they were a mix of, yes, Tuscarora and Siouan people. But the Monacans of the Piedmont of Virginia, not a ways who I've already said were, um, you know, basically Iroquois and, and kinsmen or a branch of the Tuscaroras, the Maharans. And then Mingos, who tended to be a mix of Seneca and Tuscarora, who did not fo follow the matriarchal bloodline. Uh, they were a part of this alliance as well. And then to the east, you had your Machapunga Indians, your Bear River Indians, your Mesquite Indians, the Kor and Noosk Indians, um, all of whom uh, were of mixed ancestry, uh, you know, African Indian, African Indian white ancestry. And they create a confederation that will fight against uh, the white settlers who are trying to expand into their territory and to enslave their people. This is just a, uh, an advertisement um, that was at a Boston post office, and it illustrates the selling of a Indian boy from Carolina. That's what's highlighted. Again, this is just documentation showing the enslavement of uh, Indian people from the Carolinas and that they were being shipped not just to the Northeast, but to the Caribbean. And this is the Tuscarora War Council, um, you know, with uh, their whites there, John White. I'm sorry, uh, uh, yeah, John, uh, the, the John Lawson, I'm sorry, John Lawson and, and Baron uh, uh, Christo de Graffenrid, uh, Christopher de Graffenrid. And, and yeah, it shows the, um, the famous picture of de Graffenrid and Lawson and one of the slaves there and tells us, uh, Smallwood later goes on to talk about how the uh, second slave is not depicted because he's, he just went and uh, lived with the Indians. Um, and uh, so, yeah, um, 
Smallwood also mentioned this: the uh, early Spanish kidnappings of native peoples was often of women and children, often for the purposes of concubinage in Europe. There's more evidence that that's a, a sort of um, longer through line from Bird here. Because he goes on to the warpath, sort of situation room, again, out with the troops. And now you're uh, out with the uh, uh, sort of uh, allied tribes as well. And so here on the 18th. We rose about 6 o'clock and then took a walk about the town to see some Indian girls with which we played the wag. I ate some gingerbread and drank tea with the governor for breakfast. Then we got on our horses to take a review of the militia and assigned to each country its, each county its post and gave the militia of the Isle of Wight the head because we were in their county. While we were in the field, the governor modeled his horse and put out commanders at the head of them. There were 700 horses besides volunteers and about 900 foot, uh, foot soldiers, I assume you mean, and there were about... Uh, 30 volunteers among who were three parsons. About noon, the governor sent about 30 horses to meet the Tuscarora Indians at the Saponi town. The very next day, they're dividing men into uh, companies and eating gingerbread. Um, there's uh, Peter Poitras, who's an, uh, a sort of liaison of birds who is talking with the Tuscaroras. About 3 o'clock, the Tuscarora Indians came with their guard and Mr. Poitras among them. The, he told the governor that the baron was alive and would be released, but that Mr. Lawson was killed because he had been so foolish as to threaten the Indian that had taken him. Yeah, Lawson, um, Lawson loses his temper and gets uh, his throat cut. And then later that night, speak, that, um, as I mentioned, the girls. At night, some of my troop went with me into the town to see the girls and kissed them without proceeding any further. And we had liked to have been kept out by the captain of the guard. However, at the last, they let us in and we went to bed o'clock, around 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, here's a big, long section, but this is uh, how uh, Virginia is going to deal with the, um, the war, which is to get all their allies to send children of theirs to the university, I think William and Mary, uh, basically as hostages. So they, here we go. I rose about six o'clock and drank tea with the governor, who had made use of this opportunity to make the Indians send some of their great men to the college, and the Nam Nansamod sent two, the Nataways two, and the Meherans two, and also demanded one from every town belonging to the Tuscaroras. And then here's what Spotswood wrote. Spotswood wrote to the board of trade. This is not from a bird. Um, this um, footnote. Scotswood. Spotswood wrote to the Board of Trade and Plantations on November 17, 1711, giving an account of the expedition to Nottoway Town. He says, in part, I then proposed to them either to carry a war against those Indians or to join with Her Majesty's subjects of Carolina for extirpating those assassins, and that for the better of assuring us of their future good behavior, they should deliver two children of the great men to each town to remain as hostages, to be educated at our college. Again, like we talk about the uh, residential schools and the boarding schools in American Canada. And we see the purpose of these things, which is, you know, <laughs> kidnapping, hostages, cultural genocide. About nine o'clock, the governor mounted and we waited on him to see him exercise a horse. And when all the militia was drawn up, he caused the Indians to walk from one end to the other. And they seemed very much afraid lest they should be killed. 
The governor did not but wheel the foot, and Colonel Ludwell and I assisted him as well as we could. About noon, the governor ordered lists to be taken of the troops and companies that the people might make their, type, make their claim to be paid, because they had been on the service five days. When this was done, we, he gave liberty to the people to go home, except a troop and a company for, that the, for the guard that night. Then we went and saw the Indian boys shoot and the Indian girls run for a prize. Let's see, they love prizes. We had likewise a war dance by the men and a love dance by the women, which sports lasted till it grew dark. Then we went to supper and I ate chicken with a good stomach. We sat, we sat with the governor till he went to bed about 11 o'clock and then we went to Major Harrison's to supper again, but the governor ordered the sentry to keep us out and in revenge about 2 o'clock in the morning we danced a GNTR dance uh, just at his bed's head. However, we called for the captain of the guard and gave him a word, and then all, we all got in except Colonel Ludwell. So they're like they're like boys being kept away from these Native American women and dancing at the head of this guy's bed because they're annoyed at it. And then here we go. And prepare yourself for this. Jenny, an Indian girl, had got drunk and made us good sport. And there's certain lines in here that are just like, mm. not very... Uh, Pleasant to imagine what that means. Um, again, this uh, group of Virginia uh, men had just come to these Native Americans and said, "Hey, you know the um, the dominant fig- male figures in your community? They all have to send their sons to our <laughs> university as hostages." So, I mean, I don't know how consensual you can see some of this stuff, but. Let's endeavor to continue a little bit. Uh, and then the very next day, he's just going wild. He, like last year when he gets to Williamsburg, um, he's away from his wife. Here's, this is on the 21st. At night, I asked a Negro girl to kiss me. And when I went to bed, I was very cold because I pulled off my clothes after lying in them so long. So it's very, uh, ask, very desirous. Bird was also a guy who was very pro uh, intermixing racially. He thought that a good way to get title from the land was to marry the chief's daughter. I mean, this is the classic sort of Virginia story, um, Pocahontas, for instance, that sort of thing. Which is not to say that that part of his um, political project ended up... uh, winning the day even though he had significant political power because the amount of like and uh racial laws that were instituted uh during both his time and his father's time i mean his father entered the virginia burgesses in 1677 uh you know a year after they uh, do bacon's rebellion because in part because fur trade monopoly but i mean First uh, African indentures were 1619, obviously, in Jamestown. Um, distinctions made between white and African indentured in 1640. 1662, fines for, Christi- for Christians fornicating with Africans. Children follow their mother and being enslaved for life. 1664, interracial marriage banned. Um, free woman marrying a slave serves the master for life. Children... Uh, are also enslaved. 
1680, no weapons for slaves, no threatening Christians. This is the uh, you know, four years after Bacon's Rebellion. And we know we talked about the cross-racial, the brief cross-racial alliance there. Um, that was ultimately uh, sold out by the Cavaliers. Uh, and so, yeah, no weapons for slaves and runaways can be killed. 1682, Negro, more mulatto Indian servants are slaves if neither parent was Christian. Which, you know, we talk about the persecution of Christians because that's the main thing Christians like to talk about. But persecution of non-Christians is something that's very real in this country. And formational. 1691, owners compensated if slave is... Uh, oh, here's one to think about in the context of uh, police brutality. Owners compensated if slave is killed while resisting arrest. Also, miscegenation forbidden. Whites banished if they do it. English women make, uh, birthing a mixed child is fined, indentured five years. The child is indentured to age 30. 1691, free slaves must be transported out. 1705, Africans, mulattoes, Indians prohibited office. That's right, as Bird II starts uh, his political career. 1750, North Carolina legalized slavery finally. Obviously, after the Tuscarora War, you got a lot of slaves. Might as well legalize that. And, uh, yeah, like the. Disc- so, you know, that's what. It's, it's interesting. Bird. Bird very often asks Negro women or Native American women, and also, to be fair, other women to uh, kiss him. Um, but him and his father and the, his creditor and all the people that run the government were also key in formalizing white supremacy through law, using law as a technology to make race real where it wasn't before. The 30th of October, there's a brick thrown through a window. Hopefully that was a Quaker fighting the power. A lot of gambling, a lot of drinking, Kisses a pretty girl on the 11th of November. You know, not a lot of work can be done when it starts getting crappier out, so you do see a lot of, like, the bad behavior start in the uh, winter months as they approach. And they are uh, really settling the um, estate where Bird's going to decide to take on all of his father's debts so that he doesn't have to sell off all the land. Almost knocks his teeth out playing billiards. Uh, there's a lot more war council stuff, obviously, you know. I'm not going to get too much deeper into the Tuscarora War this episode, but uh, because, as mentioned, it's more of a South Carolina thing uh, as they see the opportunities for slaves. I mean, just as an example, on December 7th, several of my people came to my lodgings and Mr. Custis, among the rest who came, about selling some of Colonel Park's land and Negroes to pay his debts. So you see also... Um, capitalism's role in maintaining slavery which is that um, and not that you want to give slave owners credit for wanting to get rid of slavery or uh, not do slavery or thinking it's bad as you know the Thomas Jefferson defenders would like but um, it's that's money to them and they owe people money and they can't <laughs> right they'd literally be sued um if, oh, Father Park, he owns slaves. Let's say, like, Bird was, like, some sort of proto-abolitionist. Uh, uh, 
it just happened to be in the will of a guy who owns slaves. Well, I mean, this is, this is assuming he doesn't already owe money, but right, like if he owed money and he just tries to free those slaves, he's probably going to be sued. Saying, hey, those are my slaves, actually. Thank you for those. Capitalism, folks. Like those the two, two things, like not that, um, you know, marriage for the purpose of commerce in the, pur- in the case of our relationship with Native Americans or slavery uh, are things that should be, um, you know, returned to the golden era of that. However, you see what the effect capitalism has on those and making them a whole different kind of monster. Uh, Sign a treaty with some Tuscarora Indians on the 11th of December. Two more, and I think we're probably uh, good. 29th of December. Uh, Another, like, kind of picaresque, if people don't know the work of Tobias Smollett, uh, Humphrey Clinker, sort of funny picaresque novels. This is a very picaresque detail here poor old Jane died this morning about 9 o'clock and I caused her to be buried as soon as possible because she stank very much and then uh, just in case you forgot who our guy was the final day of the year let's see what kind of mood the slave owner is in when I returned, I was out of humor to find the Negroes all at work in our chambers. At night, I ate some broiled turkey with Mr. Mumford, and we talked uh, about we and we talked and were merry all the evening. I said my prayers, I had good thoughts, good humor, and thank God Almighty. My wife and I had a terrible quarrel about whipping Eugene while Mr. Mumford was there, but she had but she had a mind to show her authority. So again, the wife hitting the servants. My um. My wife and I had a terrible quarrel about whipping Eugene while Mr. Mumford was there. So they don't like to whip in front of company. That's like a rule. Which you can also see like the service of that, which is, yeah, you want, which is why I think this diary is so valuable because you actually don't see this stuff hidden. Because I think the sort of romantic slavery is actually not so brutal. Obviously it was in undeniable in a certain sense but this sort of thing these sorts of customs help to insulate it from you know people recognizing the full brutality of it so my wife and i had a terrible quarrel about whipping eugene while mr mumford was there but she had a mind to show her authority before company and i would not suffer it which she took very ill however for peace sake i made the first advance toward reconciliation which i had tamed with some difficulty after abundance of crying (laughs) however it spoiled the mirth of the evening but I was not conscious that I was to blame in that quarrel happy new year we'll do we'll start off January 1712 I'm going to do that one again solo and then and then we'll uh, hopefully I'll do that in two weeks it won't be again sorry for the uh, long time in between this um, folks it's uh uh Hopefully, uh, we've turned a corner. I don't want to make any certain promises there, but I'm doing my best here. Uh, Patreon.com slash Left Reckoning. But yeah, I'll probably do another solo guy like this uh, just to finish out this version of the diary. And um, yeah, I will see you next time.